Hello, and thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. chapters until about 1227 AD. Um, They were put into place by Stephen Langdon, who was an Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, He was the one who put the modern way that we see it of uh, chapters and verses in there, as opposed to just being like, Oh yeah, this one part in John where it says that like for God so loved the world he gave his only son. Then you'd be like, oh yeah, in John three sixteen it says this. Um, up until then, there was no breakups of you know how things were divided. Okay. Um, yeah, fun fact. Good to know. That's cool. A lot easier to study the Bible. Yeah, been there. All right, so we are in John thirteen today. Alright, so leading up to this, we just had Lazarus being raised from the dead. We had Jesus being anointed at Bethany, and Jesus, uh, as he was coming in um, to um, coming into the city, into Bethany, you know, they're all laying down palms. That was essentially Palm Sunday. They were saying, Hosanna, God save us. Um, and they're praising him and welcoming him into the city, and then he's predicting his own death. Um, yeah, so that's, that leads up to where we're at now um, in John 13. So this is um, starting off with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Uh, does anybody want to start reading verses 1 through 17? I will. Go for it. John 13, verses 1 through 17. Yep. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Awesome. Thank you. All right, let's start with some overall <clears throat> observations of what you guys see going on here. He's like right up, right off the bat, letting us know that none of us is greater than, you know, his or her brother or sister. Yeah. And to have a little extra context in here, uh, it doesn't talk about their argument, but in, because, um, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all witness majority of the same things, and then they all have their own account of, you know, what they're all saying, and they're all in line with each other. Um, but some will, you know, include other details, some don't include those details, which just gives even more credibility to it. Um, but in the account, in um, Luke's account, um, uh, in... Um, actually, Luke um, talks about them arguing twice about who is the greatest of them. In Luke 9, they argue about which of them is the greatest. And then in this same parallel of this part, in Luke 22, um, this is the beginning of the Last Supper as we're reading here. They're all arguing about, like, who is the greatest. And then Jesus comes in and, you know, then this happens. Um, so John doesn't talk about that little part, but um, that's what's happening here. So Jesus isn't just like, look, to be great, you gotta do this. Like, they're arguing, like, I'm greater than you. No, I'm greater. I'm the greatest. Jesus, what do you think? Who's the greatest? And he's like, well, let me show you. Yeah, I like Peter. <laughs> like, Jesus breaks out the bowl and wraps the towel around, and he's like, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> like, you think you're going to wash my feet? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, and then in verse 8, he's like, you shall never wash my feet. And he's like, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And he's like, all right, then wash all of me. <laughs> like, he's immediately, it just goes to show you, like, I, I just feel like Peter's heart towards God. Um, he's, he recognizes the humble state that he needs to come from. And he's all in on whatever Jesus tells him to do. Yeah. Any other comments? Any other observations? I think the two that most stand out to me is always like in the thing it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and then he come from God and was returning to God. So like it was only out of his own identity and like full assurity in who he was that he went and did this. Like that was the first thing, like knowing who God who God created him to be, and that's a great example for us. Like knowing who God created us to be is why we can step out in things. And then also the distinction that Jesus washed all of their feet, including Judas, who was going to betray him, who he knew was going to betray him, and he made no distinction there either. Like, and yeah. it wasn't because Judas was going to betray him that he couldn't like give it away, like that you know this had to happen, so he's gonna. But like it was, I fully believe like it's fully because, you know. He viewed him the same. He hadn't done anything wrong yet, and God wasn't. He wasn't going to condemn him for the sin, even though he knew he had committed. And that's how he like treats us. He's like he knows we're sinners, but he chooses to love us anyway. Mm -hmm. Even you know to the utmost simple we can be, which would be to betray us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So at this point during, um, you know, any formal meal, but especially during Passover, it was customary that the lowest servant of the house would wash the feet of all the guests as they came to the house. Um, so they're all arguing. They're, they all came in. There was, there was no servant there to wash their feet. So they're all here, and that's why they start, or most likely that's why they start arguing of like, hey, who's the greatest? Because essentially what they're getting at is like, yo, who's going to wash everyone's feet? It's not me. I'm, I'm, not as, I'm not as low as you guys. And they're all like, well, I'm not as, well, who's greater? Well, let's, let's determine the greatest, and then, you know, we'll figure out who's going to be washing, you know, everyone's feet. So Jesus comes in and says, let me show you what true greatness is about. It's about serving. It's about, you know, taking that low rank. It's about being, you know, humble and, and washing the feet. So it wasn't only a sanitary thing, um, but it was also kind of like a courtesy because at this Passover meal, they're all reclining. It's a, it's a low U-shaped table and they're all reclining. So everyone's predominantly right-handed, so they would usually lean on their left. And so that, like this really low table, so, you know, they're all kind of leaning like this, kind of like with their feet to their side, kind of to their back, and, you know, they're all eating like this. So, you know, you're here. You have another person here. Their feet are right here. Your feet are right here next to the next person's head. So it's not just like, you know, you're walking in, you know, they don't have, like, soap and modern hygiene like we do today. So it's not like, hey, wash your hands before eating. It's wash your feet before eating. And so, you know, because your feet are right next to the next person's food and face. So it's not just a matter of like, oh yeah, let's wash your feet. But, you know, they, they're predominantly walking. And obviously there's no cars and stuff like that. So their feet are really dirty. And their feet are going to be right next to the other person's head and plate. If there were no cars back then, why does the Bible say they were all in one accord? That's a great question. Uh, I think that was, that came after the Honda, Honda Genesis. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um... Where was I going with that? So, so yeah, so it's not just a matter of like, okay, their feet are dirty, which they really are. But it's also their feet are right next to the other person's head. Uh, hold on, I think you just did that. I'm so sorry. No, 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 you're good. So nobody, nobody went to take the lowest position to wash someone else's feet, so Jesus did. And by what he did, Jesus illustrated true, true greatness. I had something else to go off of but I don't have it in my notes. No, no, it's acting to make me lose my train of thought. But, um, so, so something else I think that's cool here is, you know, Peter didn't want Jesus to wash, Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet, because he's like, no, 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 like, you know, they're all arguing about who's the greatest, you know, and they all think that they're greater. But he, Peter is like, okay, like, Jesus, you're definitely, like, too good to wash my feet. And Jesus is like, like, if, if I don't wash your feet, like, you have nothing to do with me. I have nothing to do with you. And he's like, well, then, like, wash my whole body. And he's like, you're not dirty. What does that mean? What, what is that? What is Jesus trying to get across there? I was wondering the same thing to be 100% honest. Like, because there's, 
I don't know. I feel like there's a bajillion different interpretations you could do. But it seems like it's like, hey, you need to wash the things that are dirty, not the things that are clean. Is like the very rudimentary thing that I can think of. Because he's like, you are, you're, you're clean. Like the only thing you need to wash is your feet. Yeah, and like Jesus could have been saying to him, like in that moment, like you are right with me. There's no reason why, you know, I should have to like wash all of you, or why you would even need to consider yourself to be completely washed. Yeah. Even though like we can also look at it as an act of being all in, which Peter was. I think um, kind of like plays into what hasn't really happened yet, but like what we now know is like repentance and like being saved like once you're saved there's still repentance that has to happen because you still make mistakes and you still sin but it's not like you have to get saved all over again it's that idea that like kind of like she's saying that like he's right with with god it's just like those little things like you wash the, the part that's dirty but when you sin it's once you're the new creation in christ it's not like how it was before where you're just one sin is now who you are it's now because you're redeemed in christ you might dip your finger in and you have to clean that, that small portion of the sin that was brought in, but no longer does sin, any sin, and a single sin contaminate all of you. It's, it's, it's now like kind of compartmentalized and we still have to like repent from that and like wash it away, you know, through repentance, but it's not how it was before, you know, Jesus' sacrifice where you are always sinful and all of you is always dirty and, you know, covered in sin. Yeah. Yeah, I think verse 7 points to the cross when he says, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you understand. I think that points exactly to like what you're saying, like his sacrifice on the cross, and then that's why he goes on to say, like, like, um, uh, and you are clean, though every not every one of you is. Like, I, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think it points to the cross, <laughs> and verse 7 kind of like is saying that too. Yeah, there's a really cool parallel here, which I, I never realized before. Um, between what's happening right here during this Passover dinner and what's to come. So here, you know, Jesus was at the table and, and then it says that he, he gets up um, in verse 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured the water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. I read that whole verse again for, for this reason. Here's the parallel. Jesus rose from supper, which was a place of rest and comfort, and then to come, Jesus would rise from Jesus rose from his throne in heaven to um, a place of rest and comfort. Jesus laid aside his garments here, taking off his covering, and to come, Jesus laid aside his glory, taking off his heavenly covering. Jesus took a towel and girded himself, being ready to work, and then Jesus took the form of a servant and became ready to work. Jesus poured water into the basin, ready to clean, versus Jesus poured out his blood to cleanse us from the guilt and penalty of sin. And then Jesus sat down again after washing their feet. And then Jesus sat down again at the right hand of God after cleansing us. Which I think is just kind of like a cool little, like, just in that little display, let alone the whole feet washing and cleansing them there, there's a cool parallel of him, you know, getting up from where he's at to come serve. And then, kind of similar to what we saw with, um, was it Mary or Mark? I believe Mary, um, previously, yeah. um, who, you know, washed his, washed Jesus' feet and dried it with her hair. Um, 
But so he says, uh, Jesus says in verse eight, "If I do not wash you, you have no part with me." Peter had to accept this from Jesus, um, which was a pattern at times. That if we don't accept the humble service of Jesus to cleanse us, that we have no part with Him. Okay, so Peter, here's here's Peter in a little recap. Peter saw Jesus transfigured, along like in his glory, along with Moses and Elijah. He had his big spiritual presence, and he and Peter still needed his feet washed. Peter walked on water with Jesus. And still needed his feet washed. Peter preached the good news of the kingdom and cast out demons in Jesus' name and still needed his feet washed. How much more do we need our feet washed? Not literally our feet, but how much more do we need, you know, the cleansing from Jesus? If Peter, a guy that, you know, he said he'll Jesus said he'll build his 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 house upon. Peter is the rock. And he's saying, like, look, Peter, like, you're gonna, you're gonna spread my gospel. And he walked on water with Jesus. Only two people can say they walked on water, Jesus and Peter. And that's crazy, because this is the same guy who later will deny him. Alright. Raise your hand if you have a hard time um, accepting service of others from others like to do things yourself, you don't like to take too much help. I know, it, it's not, it, it is like a 50-50 split. Um, so, you know, some, some people might like hit, you know, home more. Um, but it's, um, I think it's kind of a hard lesson for myself too, because I'm kind of like one of the people who like, like to help people, but like when it comes to like, hey, do you need help? Nah, like I'll, I, I'm good, I'll make it work, I got this, okay. it's fine. And, um, so here's, here, here's a quote. Um, that I want to read to you guys. Um, actually, the first part is just um, a little talk about it, and then I'll read the quote. Sometimes we show a servant's heart by accepting the service of others for us. If we only serve and refuse to be served, it can be a sign of deeply rooted, well-hidden pride. Which I'm like, what? Okay, here's the quote. Man's humility does not begin with the giving of service. It begins with the readiness to receive it. Where there can be much pride and condescension in our giving of service. I read that one more time without condensation. Man's humility does not begin with the giving of service. It begins with the readiness to receive it. For there can be much pride and condescension in our giving of service. Hopefully that still made sense there. Yep. I think that's very accurate. Yeah. If somebody were to kind of rephrase that, how would you how would you rephrase it? Sometimes it's easier to give service than to receive service because when you give service, you subconsciously think yourself to be better because you're giving it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But you're too good to receive it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put yeah. it for the other side of it. Yeah, like, and it's not that. You're necessarily like, oh, I'm too good to see service, but it's like, I don't need help. Yeah. Or, you know, which can be a form of, of, of as they said, deeply rooted and well-hidden pride. Of like, I don't need help. I can do it myself. Which, 
speaking to myself is is definitely something and you know that's like hmm like what why is it that I won't accept help sometimes or you think you can do it better yeah <laughs> John or what is it Romans 323 uh, let me go ZPV Zach's paraphrase version for all have sinned and need Jesus's help there you go Alright, anything else on this part before we move on? <clears throat> What's the flip side of that of like trying to tell people to stop helping you? <laughs> I need that right now. <laughs> Let's talk about that next time. I mean, this is not a place for everything. Um, and there's. I, it's not necessarily that, like, if you don't accept help, like, yeah. in every circumstance, that is, like, that you're. Prideful. Yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of more like an overall, overall like if you never accept help from anyone, then it's like yeah. You know, there might be some pride there. It might be you know something else too. But yeah, there's definitely a balance to <laughs> pride and laziness. Like those yeah. are two ends of the spectrum where it's like if you're never getting help, there's probably a problem. But if you're always getting help, you probably also have an issue. <laughs> kind of goes the same with like you know when we when we pray and we're like asking for God to help us with something. If it's like yeah. God help me help me to find a new job, you know, there's laziness, which is just, I'm going to sit here until God places something right in front of my face, literally drops a, an application on my desk, then I'll know that's from God, versus, you know, trying to just do everything yourself, and be like, no, 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 God, I got this, I, I don't need your help, I, I can figure this out, you know, there's a middle ground there of trusting in Him, but also still putting in some effort. Cool. Good questions. All right, let's go to um, verse 18, and we'll go through 30. Anyone want to take that part? Sounds good. <coughs> oh, one other thing I wanted to say about the previous part. Um, you know, Jesus cleaned their feet. And what's, what's another word for the bottom of their feet? Stinking souls. Souls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Stinking. Yeah. 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 Twenty-five bed points. Yes. <laughs> Good parallel. <laughs> For anybody who wasn't here, um, when Jesus was raising Lazarus from the dead, and they were like, "Jesus, no, no, he's been there four day, four days." The, the King James Version says, "But by now he stinketh." <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, another word for bottom of their feet is souls. Jesus yes. washed their souls. Jesus cleanses our, cleanses our souls. Um, anyway, anybody, uh, who said that? You want to take 18? Who said that? Did anybody say it yet? No. I'll take 18 through 23. Go for so it. Uh, okay, yep. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But this fulfills the scripture that says, The one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand, so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. Hmm. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Anyone want to take it from there? 24. 
Sure. Um, Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of the bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, <clears throat> Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus, Judas take, took the bread, he went out, and it was night. Awesome. So what's happening here? Judas is breaking bad. He said he's breaking he's bad. He's breaking bad on him. Can we just acknowledge how freaking thick these disciples are? He literally says, very truly, one of you is going to betray me. Then they ask who it is. Then he says, this one. And they're all like, huh? <laughs> like, nobody tried to beat the crap out of Judas. Like, everybody's like, oh, there he's telling me to go give some money to the poor. In what way does someone's going to betray me? Oh, who is it? Judas. Where do they get this line of thinking? It's baffling. Well, I think a lot of times, <laughs> I feel like a lot of times it's it's because of the there there could be a number of different things but when you think of like the way the prophecies have been fulfilled and the way that things have gone so far like you don't always recognize it in the moment and you're like oh yeah yeah so like maybe in 20 years Judas is going to betray Jesus or something it could be a whole thing maybe look out for this in 20 years or something I don't know or also like you know we're really dense a lot of times, and Jesus is like, hey, here's this thing, and then we're like, what? What do you mean? Yeah. But like, yeah. what, are you, what are you talking three, about? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve of us here. Imagine we're the twelve disciples, right? And Jesus is like, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. And we're all like, Who, who's going to do that? And then Jesus is like, the one who eats this bread. <laughs> you, guys, you know, and if it were any one of you, you'd be like, no, it can't be Jackie. No, it can't be. No, no, come on. No, no one, no one hears actually. Like, what does he mean? By, like, Jesus is speaking a lot of parables. What does this one mean, guys? Okay, our money, our money guy's going off to go do something that Jesus asked him to do. All right, he must be buying bread. He must be paying for the meal or something. I don't know what was going through their minds, just but optimistic. imagine, imagine if Jesus were to say that one of us were to deceive him, we'd be like, what? No, come on, like. We know each other. Like, we've been walking with Jesus all together. Like, how can this be? Like, you just wouldn't want to believe it. At least, that's what I think. We also didn't, like, they also didn't know the level of betrayal that he was talking about. He just said, yeah. like, one of them will betray me. Like, Peter denies him, mm -hmm. which is still bad, but he didn't hang him on the cross, you know? Like, yeah. so, you know. And there were so many times where Jesus said something, and they'd be like, look. I mean, even just now, what we just read in, um, in verse 7 you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. And then that's why, and then he goes on to wash their feet. So there are so many times where Jesus is speaking of things that, like, they just don't understand. And then in other areas, it'll be like, you know, and then after Jesus died on the cross, we, we realized what he meant by this. Mm -hmm. I still find it difficult. This is one of the clearest examples, I think, of, like, this, if this, then that. And, but I don't know. At, you could be a hundred percent right, but I struggle. Yeah. I struggle there. I'm like, I wonder, literally. 
I wonder what Peter's thoughts were during this like whole thing of Jesus giving Judas the bread. If Peter was like, what? You know, like it, was he tracking? <laughs> in the, I mean, in these verses, it's back to back, but it could not have, it may not have been like immediately kind of like, he's yeah. like, whoever, I dip this bread and whoever eats it is the betrayer. And then he dips it and hands it to Judas. Like if it was that quick, like you would think they were dumb. But if it was like, <laughs> he says that at the beginning of dinner and then like at the end of dinner, you know, he does it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So we can have a little picture of who Jesus was next to here from a few of these verses. Um, as I mentioned, you know, they were, they were generally, um, you know, kind of like lean on their left so that they can still eat with their right because most people are right-handed. Um, so in verse 23, who can we tell was on what side of Jesus? Who is the disciple that Jesus loved? John. John. John, John referred to himself as that, which is an accurate statement. Because um, he loves everybody. So the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Okay, not sure which side yet, but um, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say that he was on Jesus' right. And which we'll see why in a second. Um, and then verse 26. Jesus responded, it's the one whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And then he dipped it and he gave it to Judas. So he must have been pretty close because it didn't say Jesus got up and, you know, it said it before when Jesus got up from the table. So I'm assuming Jesus, Judas is right next to Jesus. Wow, I'm Jesus. Um, so, and then we can see, um, uh, where was it? Oh, it is 23. Okay. There's a little footnote down there. Um, in Greek, uh, was reclining on Jesus' bosom. So was reclining on Jesus' chest. Um, so John, and this is verse 23, John was sitting next to Jesus at the table, reclining on Jesus' chest, on his bosom. So, if Jesus is here, how, where would John be to have to be reclining if they're all in the same position? John would have to be over here, to be here on Jesus, and then Judas would be on the other side here. So, can I get two volunteers? Yes. I've been waiting for this. It's <laughs> my moment to shine. Are you going to be Judas? Do you want to be Judas or John? I'll be Judas so that nobody else has to do it. <laughs> well, John is more awkward. Judas is less awkward. All right. So we're all chilling here at the table. All right. And we're all kind of like this. So... It, let's say I'm Jesus here. You you are Judas. You're Judas. <laughs> and because I'm gonna dip the bread and be like, oh, the, who's gonna who's gonna betray me? Oh, the one I dip the bread and and the one who eats it. Oh no, Zach. <laughs> so there's Judas, and then we got John over here, the disciple that that Jesus loves. And you were, I mean, you don't have to lean into my bosom, but <laughs> but um, you know, look at look at how everyone is leaning. How who is how is um how is John leaning? Comfortably. How is John leaning in perspective to Jesus? Over him. Towards him. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, same, yeah. John is leaning toward Thank Jesus. You. How is Judas leaning? Away from Jesus. So 
But Jesus is the name Christ Jesus. Yes. Sorry. No, exactly. No, that's it. So Jesus is leaning toward Judas, but Judas is leaning away. John is leaning also, John is leaning toward Jesus. And it's, it's just an interesting picture that even the one who betray, who's going to betray this person, this Jesus is still reaching out, still leaning toward and invite him to the table because Jesus was the host of this event. So he gets to choose the place of honor. He gets to choose essentially the seating arrangement. He chose someone that he loved. I mean, he loved them all. He chose the one that was going to betray him and said, come sit next to me. And yet, he still did what he did. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I think it's an interesting picture of, you know, kind of like we saw, like you said, that Jesus even washed Judas' feet. He washed all their feet. He didn't treat Judas any differently because he was going to betray him. And I think it's, it's an interesting picture to think about of how their hearts are leaning. Right? So yeah. it almost almost begs the question of like, where are you leaning? Are you leaning toward Jesus' heart? Or are you leaning away from Jesus' heart? Yeah. Even at the place of honor, you can be you could be sitting right next to Jesus. Jesus could be right here. And you're leaning away from him. Or you could be leaning toward his heart, trying to get closer. Yeah, I think it's just a really good reminder that, like, he always comes after us, even if we're, like, running away from him. Mm -hmm. And also, like, like the Bible says, if you draw near to him, he's going to draw near to you. Yeah. Anything else on, anything from this section before you go to the last part? Last little section of chapter 13, uh, 31 through 38. Anyone want to take that? And we'll receive 12 bend points. 13 bend points? Alright, for 13 bend right, points, right. I got this. <laughs> as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, You can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, Die for me, I tell you the truth. Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. What happened here? What's going on? He's saying his time has come and he's about to leave them. Yeah. 
tells them to love one another. The greatest commandment. So he calls out a new commandment, though. Now, in verse 34, I'm, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Haven't we heard that before in the Bible? Like in the Old Testament? I think it's interesting how he, that follows after he just said that one of the 12 disciples were going to um, betray him. And like when, later when they find out that extent of betrayal, he reminds them of this commandment to love each other. Mm. I think that timing was specific. But he goes a step farther there. He doesn't just say love each other. Mm -hmm. He says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So in that correlation, Caitlin, you know, right after saying, hey, I'm going to be betrayed by someone, by this guy here, chomping on his bread out of my hand, he still loved him. He just washed his feet, and he knew that he's going to betray him, and he still loves him, and he's leaning toward him, and he chose him at the place of honor right next to him. He's saying that's how you should love each other. He said that right after this. Remember, even though all these parts are broken up into different chapters, different verses, the verses that came after the fact. That came after the writing of this. So just because we go from chapter 12 to chapter 13 doesn't mean it's a different concept, new story, different day, whatever. It's all continual here. You know, unless it says it's a different day or something like that. Yeah, he went right from, I'm being betrayed by this person, to, hey, you should love just like I loved. So what's, what's happening here is he, he's saying he's giving them a new commandment to love each other. It's not, hey, I'm giving you a brand new concept, a brand new law, something that's completely, you know, mind-blowing, renovating here. No, the, the word is a Greek word. Um, the word, the new, I'm giving you a new commandment. The word new there is a Greek word meaning renewed or refreshed. So I'm giving you a refreshed commandment. Yes, love each other. You know, you've all been told, you know, in Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. But I'm saying, love as I have loved. Yeah. And something I find really interesting here is, you know, the next verse says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Mm -hmm. It's like he's already assured them that, you know, they are, they belong to him, right? He's washed their feet and told them, you know, you are clean and you belong to me and you take part with me. But he's saying by the way that you love the rest of the world, that is how you will be, you will remind my children of your belonging to me and what, you know, they can receive when they come to me. Yeah. So the the law in Leviticus 19, love your neighbors as yourself. You don't have to raise your hand, but does anybody ever have a day where you just don't love yourself? Where you're just kind of like, meh, kind of having a meh day, kind of, you know, this whole week has been kind of, eh, just not loving myself right now. You know, if you, were, if you were to love somebody as yourself, and in those moments you're not loving yourself very well, that would mean that you wouldn't have to love people very well because you have to love your neighbor as yourself and don't love yourself, so therefore, why should I love other people? I don't even love myself. So Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a refreshed law here, a refreshed um, commandment. Love just as I have loved you. That's how you should love each other. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, We are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us, and that is a far more, and that is far more love. 
And that is far more than we love ourselves. The amount that Christ loves us is a whole lot more than how we can even love ourselves. Yeah. And that's how much we're supposed to love each other. I think it's interesting, at least in my translation, just between verse 34 and 35, he says love one another three times within like two sentences. He's like, as a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another by everyone. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Like, he's like, <laughs> continuously, like, like repetitive, sticks with the brain. Love one another, love one another, love one another. Yeah. I think again, a point across here that love is pretty important. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts here? I like 35, too, because it's not our pretty words, it's not anybody's pretty words, it's not our speech, it's not how well you can speak or how much Bible knowledge you have or how much X, Y, and Z, it's how you love that is going to prove your commitment to the Father, to other people. It's going to prove, you know, to non-Christians and Christians alike that you belong to God not to this world and what what does loving like that look like it should look radical it should not look like what the world portrays is what love is it should look like the deepest most incredible unconditional love that you can ever imagine and that's interesting <laughs> to think about how to practice that in a way that proves to the world that there is a higher way to love. Um, that's interesting. So, um, Peter here, um, you know, it doesn't talk about it here in the book of John, but in some of the other Gospels, um, it talks about the actual, you know, Peter then going on to deny Jesus three times before the rooster even crowed. Like, you know, before the next morning, already denied knowing Jesus three times as, you know, leading up to um, Jesus about to be crucified, being tried. Um, you know, he's walking through the crowds and it's kind of like, hey, hey, you're one of his disciples, right? No. Hey, you're one of his disciples, right? No, I'm not. Hey, yeah, you've been walking. No, I don't even know the guy. And three times in the rooster crows and... Um, There's, I'm going to read a part from Second uh, Peter 2. Um, Peter calls this the danger of, well, actually he didn't call it this, but the subtitle is the danger of false teachings. So this is Peter here. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there were false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive hearsays. And even deny the master who brought them in. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. I'm going to read part of that again. They will even deny the master who brought them. They will bring sudden destruction on themselves. That's Peter saying that. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Peter is now warning others, Hey! Don't deny him. Don't deny the master who brought you here. Because that's going to bring self-destruction. 
know, he's, he's talking from experience here, like, look, mm-hmm. you know, he's talking about the danger of what can happen here, which is an interesting thing. That's in, that's in 2 Peter 2, um, verse 1 and 2. Um, and let me check out this one other thing here. how relevant this was that I wrote on here. Um, When Peter is preaching in the temple, this is a little bit later in the book of Acts, in Acts 3, um, Jesus, um, Peter is then saying, um, talking about Jesus whom everybody just handed over before Pilate, before Pilate's decision, you rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. And, you know, here it is again, Peter talking about rejecting Jesus. And now telling others, like, guys, like, you guys rejected him. Now look what's about to happen. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And it's almost as if this, as if this denial was like, really this weighing on him. It's like it was like burnt in his mind. You know, he's talking about, he preached about in the temple. He's, he's warning others about it in his letter later on. Um, but I just thought that was interesting that we see, you know, the one who said that he would never deny him, then deny him, and then go on later to really, like, warn others, like, guys, don't deny him. Any final thoughts? Anything stick out? Anything... Um, Seem relevant, applicable. <clears throat> Something that was really convicting to me, not just tonight, but like previously and just recently, is um, is uh, just the like we all have a Judas in our life or multiple Judases in our lives where we're like, I just don't like you just mm-hmm. have betrayed me, and sometimes we don't have a heart like Jesus towards that Judas in our life. So it's just convicting for me that. Jesus's heart was leaning towards Judas when even when Judas was leaning away and going to betray him and that just speaks to me on how I need to love the Judas in my life and that we're not validated by their actions towards us we we can't throw a pity party for ourselves because of the ways that other people have hurt us because that's not what like God could have that or Jesus could have been mad at Judas for betraying him but without Judas he, Jesus wouldn't have been the savior of the world. So, mm-hmm. like, there's a purpose for every Judas in your life, and there's also, like, it's a it's a lesson for you, not just for the Judas in your life. It's a lesson on, like, how are you, God, God is testing, not testing, well, maybe, but God wants you to love that Judas the way that he wants you to, not the way that the world thinks you should react to that Judas, you know what I mean? It's just convicting. That's a really good point. Because I, I think I would have trouble. I know I would have trouble if there was someone that I knew would deny me. To the fact, to the point where Jesus knew that Judas would <laughs> betray him. To still love that person, to still invite them next to me, to still wash their feet. Man, washing the foot of a person who's about to betray you. Be crazy. That's some crazy love right there. I mean, and I think that speaks to the underlying factor of like it's not what you do nothing 
the way that we're the way that we're called to love other people is based not on anything, any action any other single person will take towards you, against you, on your behalf or behind your back or whatever it is. It's not based in their actions. It's based in their identity as someone that God came and died for and loved. So the fact that God is going to build his church on Peter, who was a denier, who said, no, God, I don't know you, who rejected Jesus, who rejected the last three years of walking with Jesus and everything that because he was scared or whatever it is, Peter's actions in that moment did not negate his purpose, his greater purpose that God, God had called him to. He was still just as qualified, not because he was a denier, but because he was someone that God loved, because mm -hmm. God chose him to be the rock that the church was going to be built on and nothing that he did was going to take him from that purpose it was still god-given it was still the track that he was on and like you see later like it leaves imprints we the actions that we take leave imprints on ourselves um that's life like that's the way that it goes but it doesn't mean that we're damaged goods and we can't be used for God's purpose or we can't be loved by him anymore. We're not able to receive like that. His love isn't dependent on our actions. It exists for us outside of anything that we ever do. It's because he loves us and it's because we love him that we can repent, that we can realize the wrongness in our own lives and come back to him over and over again, however long it takes however many times it takes, it doesn't run out for us. So we get the better end of the deal every mm -hmm. time. Um, but it's, you know, I don't want to say actions don't matter. They matter, but they don't matter, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. sense. Okay, great. What's that? This is going to be a super, like, silly question, but what's that? What book in the Bible is it that it's like nothing matters? Ecclesiastes. Yeah, that's, that's like exactly what yeah. you're saying. Like it matters, but like it really doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Um, where is your source, or where did you get your conclusions of how they sat? <laughs> um, combination of, of those verses, of verse 23 and 26. Um, also some notes from Blue Letter Bible. I just did searching for best Bible commentaries. I can't find anything based on that idea. <coughs> and they're all they're, they're all facing way from most likely. And a bunch of things that I read. Yeah, yeah, fee fee more so behind. So that kind of <coughs> brings them even closer to reclining or laying almost. Yeah, you can be laying towards the table. Zach just brought up a good away. good point. That's not the way they're. They're drawn in the Last Supper painting. So that's there. It's 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 wrong. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they also all were on one side of the table, as though someone was taking their photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that was a funny meme that I saw one time. It's like Jesus table for twenty six, please. It's yeah. Like, but there's only thirteen of you. Yeah, we're all gonna sit on the same side. It's not even a reclining table. Yeah, I think it shows them on chairs, yeah. which is very inaccurate. It, it looks like a long folding table. Yeah. 
Well, I don't necessarily believe that the way that you had it laid out was necessarily accurate either, just from the quick research that I was reading on. And realistically, it just seems a little silly. That's why I started looking up. I was just wondering where it said that. I just see it for trade ads. So there's a couple options. Let's just this, add it to the list of things that This was the closest option I could find to what you were referring to. Um, and so I don't see this. Um, or there was something like this, where they reclined towards either the table or just the floor in a circle or something. Yeah, the, the U-shaped table is what how they were, the type of table that they would use then. Yes. I feel like the, the mindset behind Ben's point wasn't so much like, my fear in the face, but it was the, more of the imagery of the idea of why the cleanliness was important. I feel like how they were sure. sitting is not... I think I understand that, but I was just trying to, I was trying to find if it was accurate or not. Yeah, that's right. I also don't think it's accurate. But I, <laughs> it, it, their feet, their feet the weren't literally like on the yeah, person's that wasn't, plate, I like that wasn't the but it's that their dirty, stinky feet that stinketh were, <laughs> were there. So it's like they, they were coming in to be, have their feet cleaned. But that's fair. Just don't walk away with ten, tonight with just how... Ben thinks they sat at a table. That's not what today was about at all. <laughs> if you walk away with only that, then we'll talk. Clearly, I learned today how they sat at the table. Good conversation, guys. Good questions, good comments. I enjoyed it. Um, cool. Lots of, lots of stuff that you could take away here. I could keep talking for hours about, like, how to love, like, Jesus loved and, you know, like what you're just saying, Jackie, like it has nothing to do about like what they, that's what the unconditional love is. It's not that like, oh, I'm going to love this person because like they're nice and they do good things. And it's like, no, I'm going to love this person, period. A big part for me about the like Judas in my life or the Judases in my life is like not only is he requiring us to love them, but forgive them as well. Mm-hmm. And that's an important part in the whole love aspect is forgiving. So like... You know, even after Judas betrayed him, like, yes, Jesus knew he was going to betray him, but even after, Judas was still forgiven, you know? And that's big, too. That goes, like, forgiveness and love, it's all under the same umbrella. So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'll pray, and uh, we'll close out. Thank you, God, for this day. Um, And just being able to dig into your word and be able to spend time with you and and see your actions, see how you love other people. I ask that you help us to all have open hearts this week to be able to follow your example from here and for it to not just be a, a week of a, um, of a journey, but for, for this to be able to be a testament of how to love, to, to follow this renewed commandment that you gave to us of not just loving people, but loving people like you love people, which is a whole other step. Help us to be able to see people through your eyes and uh, care about people uh, with your heart and to treat each person, whether it's a Judas or um, the disciple that you love, to treat them the same, to treat them both with kindness and love and, yeah, just that unconditional love. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's so readily available to us and that you're so readily available to us don't need any technology to come to you. It's awesome. No barrier. 
just pray for blessings and safety of everybody and that you keep us all safe and help us to spread your light. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time when God's presence is with us. I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast. Thank <laughs> you.